Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Traxler and Carolyn Ford to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Now, let's get to the point. Hi, welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity. I'm Carolyn Ford, joined by Eric Trexler. Hi, Eric. Good morning, Carolyn. And welcome, listeners. Today, I want to start our podcast by asking our listeners a favor, Eric. Listeners, if you like our podcast, please share episodes with your friends and leave us a review on your podcast platform. That's how we grow as a podcast and how we're able to stay on the air. Do we get any more money for that, Carolyn? Oh, yeah. We get loads of money for every review. Not. Awesome. Um, awesome. We'll take them anyway. But I will tell you, Eric, this is the best part of my job. So I really want to keep doing it. And we need yeah, to. Yeah, no, I agree. Right. And I think the feedback I get from the listeners is, is universally positive. So yeah. yeah. It, it makes your day. Anyway, so, who do we have today? Well, it's week three of Cybersecurity Month. And last week, we had our 100th episode, as you know, with General Stanley McChrystal. And we talked about how to apply the principles from his book, Team of Teams, to cybersecurity. Yes. This week, we get personal. Okay. We get to talk about how to find the right people to implement those principles. So our guest today is George Randall, who is strategic advisor to EF Overwatch, former U.S. Army officer, and Vice President of Global Talent Acquisition at Forcepoint. Welcome, George. And, and the author of Talent Wars. I'm getting to that, Eric. Come on, let me do my read-in. <laughs> okay, go for it. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, George, and forgive our banter. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's great. Thank you for having me. So, Eric, spoiled my thunder. Your book, <laughs> The Talent War, is releasing November 10th? The U.S. Marine Corps birthday. Yes. Excellent. I have a so, story for you on that, George. Yeah, I didn't get a say in that as an army guy. That was all Mike. Okay. <laughs> okay so Mike, Mike Sorelli, your your co-author, former uh, former Marine and Navy SEAL, correct? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So Carolyn, we were on Delanaga up, up on the mountain phase of Ranger School, and it was the Marine Corps birthday. And it's cold and we're starving and we're hungry and we're tired and we're freezing and we're miserable. And one hell of a Marine donated a cherry nut cake to Ooh. my little, to my little group. And we split it into, it must've been 20 pieces on the Marine Corps birthday. And I'll tell you what, I'll never forget that. Oh my gosh. I, it was okay. awesome. So maybe I mean, it must've been five calories or so, but we were starving and there we stung was, to the Marine Corps. There was a story core story about this marine that did this like his grandma sent him this cake now nah, it was christmas never mind but same kind of story so maybe you guys are all kind of nice well if you're in the military you tend to be hungry and tired and wet and cold and miserable a lot but it's a good gig so anyway back to the book tell yeah, let's get yeah. back to the book so um your book george actually echoed a lot of the same qualities that general mccrystal talked about last week and um, today we'd like to talk about how to apply those qualities that you talk about in your book and that, like I said, General McChrystal talks about, um, specifically to filling the cybersecurity talent gap. 
Um, before we dive into that, will you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what prompted you and Mike to write this book? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a lot of ground to cover, but the shortest version I can give you is uh, I enlisted in the Army to pay my way through school and kind of got the leadership bug. And I had a very colorful tongue. Not that that's been seen here at Force Point in any way, shape, or form. But somebody said, hey, if you think you're so smart, why don't you go be one of those officers? So I kind of shrugged my shoulders and said, what the heck? And I was fortunate. Spent about eight years active duty platoon leader XO, company commander, Berlin, Somalia, Gitmo, uh, Colombia, Panama, Honduras, places like that. Uh, but after company command, no more leadership roles really for a long time. So I jumped into the corporate world. Uh, and so transitioning for a veteran was not easy at that time. Um, made a bad match with the big box retailer that we talk about in the very beginning of the book. But I actually jumped over into consulting. It was consulting in the federal space uh, there at Fort Belvoir, not far from where you are, Eric. And uh, I had to transfer back to Texas. And so I fell, had the opportunity. Somebody said, well, do you know about resource management? And I told a little white lie and said, sure, I know all about it. And so I went and did it for KPMG Consulting, which became Bearing Point and then Deloitte. And they said, well, you know, you have some leadership. Do you want to do recruiting and HR? And so it just kept lumping together and it just rapidly took off. And I've spent the last 20 years on the talent acquisition side uh, with the last 10 being generally head of global organizations. And along the way, as I've been able to do it, I built a number of veterans programs. But as I was sitting at Force Point, um, I heard Mike Sorelli on podcast uh, 134, the Jocko podcast, and I reached out and said, well, maybe we should get some veterans here. So we went to breakfast and immediately hit it off, which is pretty strange for a Marine Corps guy and an Army guy. And um, within a week, he's like, well, he goes, we ought to be writing a book together. We, we just have so much synergy between the two of us. And so we took his 20 years of special operations and my 20 years of talent acquisition and got busy writing a book. That's really the thumbnail sketch. Okay. My takeaway was just lie your way into a job. No, yeah, basi no, basically, no. basically. Yeah, it was. Uh, so the challenge was, is I needed to get back to Texas and there was no federal work for me to transfer and I was so used to the business side of staffing and resource management really for consulting was internal recruiting. And so I had hired for my teams as a manager in consulting and I was like, well, okay, I could figure out how to do this. How hard could it be? And so I went from resource management. They said, well, why don't you take the external recruiting piece? And it just took off from there like, you know, lightning bolt. So well, you and, and Mike have 20 years of experience, give or take, a little more than 20 yeah. years of experience each. I don't want to date you too much, George. Thank you. You guys come together, <laughs> no problem. A lot of wisdom in those years. You, you, you come together, you both have a shared type of military background. Mm -hmm. You're both in the corporate world now doing work. And you say, let's write this book. Let's educate. Let's get this out there. Yeah, I always I wanted to write one for a long time about all the things that I had seen in recruiting and most of the recruiting managers. And I'm sure, Eric, you've seen this. You know, they say, you know, if you have enough bananas, you can train a monkey to do anything. And, and that's the way the kind of recruiting was for a while, meaning it was just turning the cranks. It was order taking, you know, filling jobs, um, cut and paste job descriptions and things like oh, that. I hate and, that. I see that all the time. It's like I have three heads open. I need to fill them. And management drives you. Yeah, to fill the positions because they're not producing revenue or they're not producing output. Right. There's no productivity if nobody's there, and they drive you, even threaten to take your head count sometimes. Yeah, if you don't fill those slots quickly, and you're like, I want to get the right person, 
Well, well and, and I jest about lying your way into a job, but honestly, like at the heart of your book, it's not about lying, but it's about talent. And, yeah. and you actually list, I think there's nine common attributes yeah. um, for qualities that you want to look for in new hires. And one of those is adaptability. So for you to mm -hmm. say, sure, I can do this, you know, you knew yourself well enough and had the confidence to say, yeah, I can do this. I, I think I think for me, the, the hard part was like I, you know, I was on the business side and it was so hard to hire and the recruiters that I work with didn't know my business. And so I literally sat out and said, well, I could do this better. And so the teams that I built to the best of my ability have embedded themselves and understand the business problems they're trying to solve. So they're an extension of that business leader and they understand what the fits are and, and they understand that it's not necessarily about performance. That's a great indicator, but performance at one company is not predictive in another. It, well, it's a good indicator to look for, but it's not guaranteed to predict. I, I agree with that. In fact, my favorite chapter in the whole book is chapter four, hire for character. Train for, train skill. for skill. Right. Yep. Because well, and, you, you know, can read a resume, Carolyn. Right. And one of the takeaways, too, uh, you, you guys make a point in the book that if you required five to seven years for to, to be a Navy SEAL, we wouldn't have any Navy SEALs yeah. because they're they don't have there the experience. None. Right. Right. Yeah. By the default, have no experience. Yeah. You couldn't go to a high school. You couldn't go anywhere. You know, Mike makes the point, hey, maybe you send them over to the French Foreign Legion. Maybe you send them somewhere else when you get that experience, come back. So, you know, by default, they had to look at the character attributes. And then they had to train for skill. And, you know, what's interesting that we make in the book, and there's one or two fine lines in there, but at periods of high stress, chaos, uncertainty, that's when skills start to degrade. And that's when character comes through. So the nine attributes of drive, resiliency, adaptability, humility, integrity, effective intelligence, team ability, which is huge that a lot of people don't evaluate for, curiosity and emotional strength, those things are far more predictive of success. And in today's changing, rapidly changing business environment, if you don't have those, you're at a distinct disadvantage. Well, and talk about stressors right now, right? Our, our environment right now. But so my question is, love this list. Yeah. How do you identify these when you're interviewing? I mean, you get 20, 30 minutes with people. How, how do you say, yep, this person has these nine attributes? Well, the challenge is, first of all, and let me kind of digress a little bit, the, the challenge is, is very few people get upstream and very few people look at their teams and say, what am I missing? A, mm -hmm. and B, what is success on this team? And looking at the most successful people on that team and then looking at those attributes that are paying dividends that are predictive of success in that particular team, you know, whether that's product, service, sales, it doesn't matter. They're each going to have, and not everybody's going to have all nine of these but each particular role might have three or four that stand out that you need to be looking for. And if you know those before you make the job description, then you can build an interview process that tests for those things. But most George, people almost, are like in that moment, oh, here's cut and paste, go do it. We need this experience. It's all objective traits. I think you talk about, do you, the, really the foundational question is, do you know what success looks like? Do you exactly. know what you need as a business to do the job? But Carolyn, I'll tell you from my experience, you, know, you, you get a ton of glowing resumes in all the time, mm -hmm. right? Talent acquisition does a great job of handing you resumes and they're almost all qualified on paper. Mm -hmm. The process will weed people out otherwise. Now, how many people are lying about their experience? Well, you got to work through that. You got to figure that out. But, but most, 
most resumes meet the requirements of the job if you wrote them appropriately. It's really getting to that character, to that mindset, though. And, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll share something I read in the book, George, which, which you hit me right between the eyes on this one, right? People who don't quit, people who are calm under pressure, people who know how to beat the impossible, people who just keep going. And, and yeah. I saw that in the military, you know, as I looked at pre-ranger and then ranger school, the people who made it weren't the big muscular guys. Mm -hmm. In fact, a lot of times they couldn't handle the endurance work of it or the, or the, uh, the yep. stress under pressure. Because many times, you know, they, they were athletes or something. They were number one in what, whatever they did. And they didn't have the same type of, of pressures that would just break you down. I mean, you know, some of these military schools, Caroline, are meant to break you down and see when you will quit, when you will break and how and why and teach you f through that process. So people who don't quit, I think, to me, that's, that's the number one. And then you get into the characteristics that the job, that the skills that are required there. Yeah, the thing for me was resiliency. Like it yeah. kept coming uh, through in the book. You know, I, I'm probably in the most masochistic profession you could imagine in talent acquisition because you have two sides of the equation that can both say no to the deal. Um, and you have to have resiliency, but could you imagine hiring somebody into sales or into product that's never failed, that's never had a setback? They collapse at that point. The Everything first time they hit the breaking point, the first time they have a problem, yeah. and, and they're, they're lying to you anyway. Yeah. Life, everybody has failures. You know, we talked to uh, Don Robertson, who was a mentor of mine at uh, HPE. Uh, and one of the main things is he dug right in tell me about your biggest failure. Walk me through how the failure, he wants to know how the failure occurred. He wants to know what you did at each step and how you recovered, how you course corrected. And Tracy Keogh, who we interviewed in the book, who's another mentor of mine, she is uh, the CHRO of Hewlett Packard. Uh, she's very much the same way. If they haven't failed, I don't want them on the team because they're going to fail. And at some point, whether it's product, it's service, it's sales. I mean, how many deals have you seen salespeople and they do a couple million dollar deal falls through for whatever reason beyond their control and they collapse and, and they're not willing to get back at it. But the people right. with resiliency will go, yep, okay, what could I have done better? What did I learn? And then get right back at How it. How do I prevent this from happening next time? Exactly. Where do I go from here? And, and it's that adaptive adaptability or resiliency that allows you to, mm -hmm. to change and to go. Yeah. I agree. It's, it's very much served me throughout my career. Could you even imagine what a career without failures looked like? I don't even know that it would be a career. I, that would, it would be like a vacation on the beach. And it just is a utopia. It's, a, it's something that doesn't exist in any business whatsoever. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to have failures. And how you deal with those, how you get up, how you drive forward, and how you win is everything. Well, in, in the McChrystal podcast, Carolyn, from last week, he mentions a topic of uh, the organic learning process, how quickly cyber goes. On Monday, this could be your adversarial mm -hmm. threat. On Tuesday, it's something different. If you don't have that ability to adapt, if you don't have that ability to keep going, mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you deal when the adversary changes? How do you deal when the problem space fundamentally rotates or shifts on you? You've got to be able to do that. If not, I think you need to get into piecemeal work. You need to get into something where you can continue to do your job without a lot of external impact. Yeah, I 
so the adaptability and the resilience, like I said, that, those were themes throughout the book, but in another lifetime, I'm going to reveal something here. I was an eighth grade English teacher. I had 180 students every day and I could have the best laid lesson plan. It was beautiful. Every little detail, right? Never. I never once was able to execute one of those lesson plans. But my lessons were usually really good because I, I would remind myself every night, every morning, adapt, adapt, adjust, and, and do what the students need. And we always had a, a great time. And I've been able to carry that through into my, my new life, my new career. School so, teacher to marketing, adaptability. Well, right? I actually the, went school their, teacher their to characters, Their characteristics, though, other than skills. Right. Right, because... I bet school teacher is not, George, you would probably know this better than Caroline. I bet school teacher is not a prerequisite for marketer. Not at all. I, well, <laughs> most people wouldn't look at it. That's the thing that drives me nuts is there's so many people that will look at a resume. They don't see the competitor. They don't see those objective, you know, career enhancing roles in that function. And so the resume's given five seconds and then it's toss it away. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I've, I've even almost pulled that off. I mean, it was a long time ago, but the truth is teaching school for that small amount of time, just it ingrained in me the need and the ability to be adaptable. And if you don't, and you know, this is one of the things that I've, I've tried to do is, you know, when I walked into Force Point, the town acquisition team was, for lack of a better term, was a dumpster fire at the time that I walked in, if I were going <laughs> to put it bluntly. Wait, how long have you been here? Uh, two little over two years. And I mean, I had everybody screaming at me, but you know, it was a, it's been a long process to help teach the recruiters to go to look at the resume and look beyond the competitor, look beyond the experience. And for, you know, if you get a really good talent consultant that's embedded in the business, they'll look at that and say, okay, well, there's a teacher, you know, first of all, there's gotta be resiliency. There's gotta be just you know, the ability, the positive attitude, the curiosity, the drive to keep doing that and the altruism. So there's a lot of things just looking at that one job function that if you understand talent that you can pull out of what somebody's done. It does not need to be the lazy, easy way of going, oh, they worked at this company. They're a competitor of ours. They did this role. Let's see if we can get them, throw a little bit more money and have them move laterally. Well, and so there's a good, a good question. How do we get people to choose cybersecurity. I mean, I fell into the job, Eric, to be honest. I, I got recruited away from teaching to do corporate training and my career went from there and I've never left cyber. Well, I've never left high tech. Um, right. So how do we attract that talent that they, they weren't even thinking of cybersecurity? Well, I think it's a two-part question. George, we'll yeah. let you answer in a second. Okay. But yeah. I, I think, how do we advertise? How do we market? How do we mm -hmm. attract the talent, right? Mm -hmm. There are 2 million plus jobs open right now mm -hmm. across the globe in cybersecurity, right? So there, there's a huge market that pays well, a lot of flexibility at work. It's it's relatively good work, right? So, so that's, to, to me, how do we attract the talent is one thing, but two, there are 2 million jobs available across the globe 
there aren't enough cybersecurity people out there. We're not nope. printing them in schools. So you can't even take a resume and go out to market and say, or, or, or a, a job description, I should say, go out to market and say, I'm looking for somebody with five years or 10 years or 15 years of cybersecurity experience because there simply aren't enough of them. You may get some. It's not as bad yep. as the Navy SEAL argument they talk about in the book. <laughs> Right. There are some people, but you need artists, you need teachers, you need creative thinkers, you need people who have the characteristics, maybe not the native skills just yet. So hire for characteristics, hire for character, train for skill. So how do we find them? You know, and how do we let them know we're here? How do we how do we bring that peanut butter and chocolate together? Back to you, George. Well, I think there there's three points. I think cybersecurity is an easy sell when you find the right people. You know, it, it is always cutting edge. It is always advancing. It's always changing. It's not static. And, and not to name any particular uh, company, but there's some jobs that are just repetitive that don't change fast enough. And people generally like change. They like challenge. So I think cybersecurity is an easy sell. For me, one of the first things that I do, you know, when we do find, finding the people with those skills is not hard with modern technology and you have good recruiters, it's easy to find the people, though people with cybersecurity experience, to your point, Eric, it is high demand, low availability is what we call it. So you have to be thinking creatively, you have to be thinking differently to look for those people that would we could build into and train those skills to. But the other thing I do is I sell the leadership. That is one of the easiest things because... It's funny that talent acquisition generally over the course of my career hasn't done this, which is when people leave a company, they don't leave the company, they leave the boss. But on the flip side of the equation, the recruiters aren't selling the boss. And that's one of the best things because Good we put point. in the book that talent plus leadership equals victory. So if the recruiting teams can find the talent and partner and know what a success profile is, and then you have leaders that are dedicated to being better and better leaders every day. You sell that to the people with the talent skills. It's just convincing a number of people to get out of that mindset of they have to have this specific experience. Hire Carolyn, for those we, character attributes and, and you can go a long, long way. Yeah, we see this in the government where you'll see a CIA, an NSA, a, you know, pick your government agency where they're not paying the most, right? You're in nope. government income. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of upsides to the job, but there are a lot of downsides, right? But certainly pay isn't one of them, but they talk about mission. They talk mm -hmm. about what they're doing for the country yeah. and they give them that path. And, and to me, that's leadership coming through. This is what we do. You can go make more money over there. And if you care about the money, we'll go over there and make more money. But if you care about the mission, if you care about protecting America or the country you live in, if you care about whatever you care about, to me, George, that's the leadership coming through. It is. Taking those aspects of the role, because everybody's job is different. Every yeah. company is different. They, they, they're striving for different things. We, you know, we, we made a point to cover that in the book. You know, you can't be paying bottom of the market to find great talent. You know, money matters, but it's not everything. It's, it's the mission. It's the value. It's the empowerment. It's the challenge that you give them. That's what true talent thrives on. That's what you need to be selling. So when we talk about building a talent mindset within a company, we also talk later in the book that you have to be advertising that talent mindset, that our leaders are committed to, to growing you, to training you, to mentoring you, to coaching you. That, that's everything. And, you know, when I, on a kind of a little bit of a side note, I've coached 
well over 10,000 veterans over the last 20, 25 years. And you get them coming out and they have, they're like, well, I've been making, you know, that government stepped pay and now I want to make bank. I want to make money. And one of the first things I tell them is if you're chasing dollars, you're going to get your heart broken every time you chase the opportunity, you chase the leadership. The dollars will come. The dollars will come and it happens every time. Well, and I think it's, it's important that I would imagine this to be true with veterans that they need to feel a purpose. So going from teaching where I made a huge impact on Mm -hmm. these kids' lives, I loved it. It was so rewarding. Moving into the corporate world, I felt lost. Yeah, the money was there, but I was like, why? This doesn't matter. Right. Why am I doing this? Yeah. But you know what? Cybersecurity, I find purpose here. I, I believe this is incredibly important to our children, to our nation. And I wonder if that might be an aspect of getting people into this field is showing them the purpose here. Yeah. And you can show them purpose across a very, very broad range. You know, the stuff that we're doing in government, although you can't get into some of the details is, is there's no value you can put on it. That mission is what people are dying to be a part of, but then you could even break it down more simply you know, make it personal to them. Talk about their privacy, talk about their exchanges, you know, as simple as, you know, protecting the, you know, their banks that they use, protecting their transactions. You can make it personal. You can take it from the, the individual all the way up to protecting a country. And that's what's unique about cybersecurity. And I think it's, it's just such an easy, to, to say it in a kind of a crass way, it's, it's a very sexy job you know, because there's so much that you can do across the spectrum. And, and I absolutely love it. And I, I was very grateful that I could get into it. Yeah. It's why I've stayed. It's why I've stayed in it for as long as I have. And quite frankly, why I've stayed at force point, I don't want this to be a force point commercial, but you know, we're talking about leadership and teams and I'm, I'm on the government team at force point and there is a tremendous sense of mission and purpose on that team. And it's kept me there. And and cyber in general, I've mm-hmm. been able to do many different things with my career here because cyber is changing so much and so fast. You guys might find it funny, but uh, I, I know that you're all fans. And and my partner in crime and the person who I think is the best ever I've seen in the function, Karen Clark, you know, is our you know vice president of HR business partners. Our interview when she conducted of me was, we talked for an hour, but the interview was about two minutes because I was, I think I was the first TA person with government experience. And and the government side in cyber is different by a long shot from your general consulting, where you're running task orders and you're doing simple stuff. You're actually, you have a mission and you can see the difference that you're making every day. Um, Selling that side of force point, that's a walk. I mean, it's still, don't get me wrong, if you've got somebody sitting doing with a company that's got a great mission, but it's such an easy sell. We have such a strong leadership team over there that it's very, very easy to talk to people about the, the, the great mission we have and how the leaders are going to invest in them over the course of their career. Yeah, and okay, I want to take this strong? back though. Well, uh, let Go me ahead. finish. So I was just gonna say our leaders are strong, but our, it's, a, it's a broad thing. It's It's, almost like that living organism, Eric, for me, where we have a lot of individuals who possess those leadership talents, 
who -hmm. possess those nine attributes that you list in the beginning of the book, George. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I love working with those people, you know, especially because at any company, one of the worst things you're going to run into is ego. Doesn't matter the company. And you can see a ton of people here with humility that do operate like Mike and I did writing this book with the best idea wins. It's not about your idea. It's about accomplishing the mission. And, and that's so easy to get behind. Then you know you're a part of something. So I want, I want to go back quickly to, Carolyn, you mentioned the word purpose. And, and when I'm looking for a character and mindset in an individual, you know, I'm looking for what is their purpose? Why do they want this job? Do they just need the money? Is it just a stepping stone? You know, they're, they're, they're going one level up from individual contributor to manager, or they're going to a bigger part of the business. Why do they want it? And I will many times ask questions around purpose because I think, uh-huh. and George, you have much more experience than I do here, but I think when you get down to what is your purpose, why are you here? You know, uh-huh. I think you start to really get into character. Absolutely. And it's funny. um, I want to be careful how I word this next portion, Uh, but I put it in a video where people over rotate on experience the most tends to be the most senior and executive levels and they don't dig in. And I do a 30 minute interview with all the execs I see, and it's all about character. It's, it's all about the why, why did you do this? How do people see you? What are the attributes that you you hope people see in you? And then tell me how you use those across the spectrum of your life. Because I'm a big believer, those character attributes, when we interview for them, they show up in life, your personal life, and they show up in your professional life. But once you get digging into those character attributes, it's like this picture is painted very clearly for you as to how they will fit and succeed on your team or not, alternatively. You know, somebody, you can tell when somebody's not humble. Um, You know, one of the attributes we have in here is integrity. When's the last time that you've ever seen anybody in an interview tell us when they had to hold the line on integrity? That question just doesn't even come up. It's almost taken for granted. But, you know, some of the biggest failures in corporate America have been failures of integrity. Lack of integrity. It's actually on my behavioral interview checklist I have. I have a, That's awesome. I have a sample set of questions that I rotate through depending on what I'm, who I'm talking to. And, and Ooh, that's Eric, important to me. We should share those. We should share those with our listeners. Because that's, I mean, for me, it's where the rubber meets the road. Like, how do we implement this stuff? We could talk about it all day long, but stuff like that is very helpful. To well, me. And they're relatively easy questions, right? Tell me about sure. a time when you needed to do, you know, the right thing or make a choice between the right thing and the... Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the more lucrative thing, mm-hmm. right? And I, I forget the exact wording, but they're relatively easy questions to ask to get down to the integrity component. But in the I've few asked, minutes, yeah. go ahead, George. I, I asked somebody, when, tell me the most senior person you had to disagree with publicly and make your case for oh, yeah. And how did it turn out? So, you know, I, I would say let's let's end on that with George. Like, what do you... I guess, what are, what do you want to leave our listeners with? And then I'm going to ask both of you if you want to share some interview questions that I can share with our listeners in our, in our show notes. I have all kinds of crazy questions that I use. Uh, the thing that, I, a couple things I would leave with. Number one is, is, is Jocko, when he wrote in our foreword, is that selecting talent is a subset of leadership. And you have to master that skill. 
Second is that human capital is the only true competitive advantage that you can hope to maintain. Everything else around you will change so rapidly that if you don't have people with the majority of those character attributes, you're not going to win in your particular space. Talent is everything. The last thing is, and, and I wanted to point this out as kind of a small segue. And I don't know if you knew this, Eric, but we did, you know, we looked at the data. CHROs are generally paid one third of all of their C-suite counterparts. The HROs aren't viewed as a strategic asset as much as they should be. So the point I'd leave you with is that human capital has to be managed as carefully and with the same rigor and the same level of importance as your financial capital. I would argue with more because it yeah. is the it is the primary raw material or input into the business, which then generates capital down the road. Exactly. Exactly. If you have if you have substandard people, you will derive substandard results. If you have top people, they will figure out a way to uh -huh. evolve and get the business moving. Yep. Every time. Every time. So do you want the weird questions, Carolyn? I do. I love weird questions. <laughs> so the one thing is, is, so if I'm interviewing and I predominantly interview the execs now, the thing is, is I don't want it to be anything that they're prepared for ever. Right. I, I want it off. to be throw them off. And so there is one question at the end of a series of questions that I ask, as I said, I want you to think about your best friends. And I said, you know, your best friends are the people that you would trust completely in the event of your demise to erase the contents on your phone before it was made public. I said, do you have those people in your mind? I said, all right, I apply them with alcohol. I sign an NDA. What are the three top traits that they say describe you. And so I get a number of things. I get to see how introspective they are. I get to see if they're tap dancing, because if they give me some tap dance answer, I'm going to call them on it. The other thing is, is I know what's aspirational to them by having them list out those traits. Even if they don't possess them in spades, I know what they're striving for. And then I follow up real quickly. I said, okay, what's the number one pet peeve, the most irritating behavior about you that your friends would say? And you can tell immediately if somebody's being authentic you can tell if they're introspective and you can tell what's really important to them with just those two simple questions. And that's, you know, over and above getting into integrity and stuff like that. And um, there was a, just real quick, I don't know if we have time, but so there was one person who was a pain and Eric, I'm gonna let you guess who this was. I don't even want to know. I'm going on mute. Absolutely pain taking him through. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, Oh my God, come on. Would you just answer the question? I said, I'm not giving you the offer. I don't care if our CEO says you get the offer or not. What is the irritating behavior? And he slammed his hand down on the table. And he says, fine, I'm ADHD. There, I said it. And nice. nobody had any idea. And I said, it's great. He still got the job, but at least we knew, you know, who that person was at their core. And he had come through and, and, knocked off several examples of especially the effective intelligence and the curiosity that were just off the charts. I'm not going to lie. I'm dying to ask both of you, both of those questions, but. I'll I give you my answer later, either <laughs> another podcast or privately. I'm no <laughs> secret for me. So, anyway, George, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. this has been great. Yeah. And uh, thanks to our listeners again, please leave us a review, share the episode and we will talk to you next week. Thank you much. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. 
For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 